Hi everyone, this is Mike, the tax attorney. Haven't done a podcast in a while, so I'm excited to get back behind the mic again to do a short one on what items are taxable. I think um, it's quite obvious um, that if you are a W-2 employee that your wages are taxable. Um, that's you know the very basic and bare bones uh, rule when it comes to taxable items. Um, you're probably also aware that if you are a W-2 employee that your employer has to file a what's called a Form W-2 with the IRS. And typically what the IRS will do is uh, take that Form W-2 and compare it with the um, earned income uh, from your wages that you reported on your 1040. So it's very important to ensure that um, you report all of your uh, wages on your 1040 and that nothing is left off because, again, it will be compared to the W-2 that your employer files. Now, it's also easy to remember and pretty elementary that um, if you're an independent contractor, you have to report your income on a Form 1099. Um, so those two are basically the uh, simple, straightforward ones uh, where you're an employee and your employer is uh, basically um, basically reporting your wages on a Form W-2, which you receive at the end of the tax year. And if you're an independent contractor, um, that you are reporting your income on a Form 1099. Um, it's your obligation to report it, and the employee um, basically uh, you know, is treating you as an independent contractor and so isn't completing a W-2 because you're an independent contractor. Um, but nonetheless, uh, that Form 1099 is very important and it's important that um, you, know, you uh, pay your taxes quarterly to avoid the interest that, uh, can, um, that can accrue very quickly and um, become staggering if you don't keep up with your quarterlies. Now, there are a variety of events that can give you taxable income even though you haven't received any cash. Um, this is known as constructive receipt, and constructive receipt requires you to pay tax when you merely have a right to payment even though you don't actually receive payment. Um, and so this can get a little bit tricky, um, and here's basically how I like to break it down. Suppose you have a legal right to a payment but you elect not to receive it. Um, the IRS can still tax you. Uh, the example that is used um, time and time again is the one involving a bonus check. Um, so let's uh, assume that you uh, that your employer um, is going to issue you a bonus at the end of the year. And suppose that the employer uh, tries to physically hand it to you on December 31st, but you insist that you'd rather receive it in January of the following year, thinking that you can postpone your taxes. Um, so essentially what you're trying to do is avoid having to report that bonus check as gross income in that current year. And, um, you, and that's why you're asking your employer to um, give it to you in January under the 
um, on, under the assumption that you can postpone reporting that bonus check um, until the following year. Now here's the problem with that thinking. Um, because you had the right to receive it in December, it's taxable then, even though you might not actually pick it up until January. So the fact that you may um, avoid uh, physically receiving it on December 31st, and you may not pick it up at, your, um, at the office until January 2nd or January 3rd, does not allow you to postpone the taxes until the following year um, and doesn't uh, prevent you from having to report that bonus check in the prior year because you had a legal right to receive it in that uh, year. Now, on the other hand, here's how you might be able to um, here's how you might be able to construct this so that you don't have to report the bonus check in the current year. If your company agrees to delay the payment and actually pays it to you and reports it on its own tax taxes as paid in January, you would be successful in putting off recognition of the income until the next year. Yet even in that circumstance, the IRS might argue that you had the right to receive it in the earlier year. So the bottom line is that when we're talking about constructive receipt, the first thing that should come to mind is the right to payment. Uh, the mere fact that you had the right to payment in December, um, yet you uh, forestall receiving it until January does not prevent you from having to report that bonus check as gross income in the current tax year. The only way to get around this issue is to try to get the company to agree to delay the payment until the following year. And if the company does in fact agree to delay the payment and actually pays you the bonus check um, in January and reports, its on, and reports its, it on its own taxes as paid in January, again, you're probably gonna be successful in putting off recognition of that income until the next year. And in that circumstance, you won't have to report the bonus check until the following year. Let's talk about some tax issues that arise um, in litigation. These issues are hands down huge for the plaintiff. Um, basically, as a plaintiff in a personal injury case, you have to consider the bottom line after taxes, not before taxes. And so what I often encourage uh, clients to do is um, to always address taxes when settling litigation and entering into any settlement, preferably before signing any settlement agreement because um, this area is a very gray area. I've blogged extensively about um, taxes as they re relate to personal injury damages and um, it's a slippery slope. So it's very important to understand what the tax consequences of a settlement agreement are and um, quite honestly what the tax consequences are of a verdict if you can't settle your personal injury case or your employment litigation case and the case actually goes forward to a jury trial. Um, there, are, uh, there are just a, a number of 
um, of gray areas that you need to be aware of um, to avoid getting ambushed by a 1099 the following year. Um, so again, be sure to consult your tax attorney before signing your signature at the bottom of any settlement agreement involving uh, personal injury, cause of action, or any other type of litigation, um, regardless of whether it's uh, regardless of whether it's resolved short of litigation. Of course, if you do go forward with litigation, there will be a verdict and not a settlement agreement. Um, and you should also consult a tax attorney or your CPA about the tax consequences that would flow from a favorable verdict so you at least have an idea of what you're actually going to take home uh, post-trial if you were to prevail in the litigation. Now as we move on, um, there is also another instance where you can have income without cash and uh, that arises in the case of discharge of debt. Um, this is also known as cancellation of debt income. So let's state the general rule. If a family member or the bank loans you money, you get the cash, but you don't have to uh, report it as income because you have an obligation to pay back the debt. Um, so essentially debts um, or uh, loans, I should say, are not treated as taxable income because you have an obligation to repay them. However, what if you're relieved of the responsibility to repay it? Um, so for example, let's suppose that you don't um, repay the debt because um, you just didn't have the money. Well, that's when the debt is treated as cancellation of debt income. And that raises an interesting issue because when a creditor treats a loan as a, as a cancellation of debt, meaning that it's uncollectible because efforts have been made to attempt to collect it and they've uh, failed, um, that's what's known as cancellation of debt income. And in that case, the lender... Um, or the creditor is required to issue a Form 1099-C reporting cancellation of debt income. And that means that you have to pay tax on what had previously been uh, thought of as a uh, loan. All right, so essentially it's a situation where you do not repay the loan and the lender or the creditor has made significant efforts to try to collect it, but all efforts have failed. And so the lender is now treating it as a bad debt. And as such, uh, for tax purposes, the lender has to treat it as a cancellation of debt. And file or issue what's called a Form 1099-C reporting the amount that it lent you as cancellation of debt income. And this is done to ensure that you don't leave it off your tax return. Now, how about debts forgiven while you're in bankruptcy? That's a whole kit and caboodle, whole different um, circumstance. Debts forgiven while you're in bankruptcy, or if not in bankruptcy, when you're technically insolvent, 
with more debts than assets don't count as income. And so that's an area that is, um, uh, that is, uh, that is very vast. Uh, whenever you get into issues involving bankruptcy, there's uh, everything from the automatic stay to discharge, and it is a minefield. Um, but generally speaking, debts forgiven while you're in bankruptcy don't count as income. Uh, now, there are some exceptions um, to a discharge um, at Chapter 7. Um, discharge, and I would certainly recommend that you consult with a bankruptcy attorney if you have any questions about whether any of your debts um, are still uh, are still collectible post bankruptcy after the discharge, because there are some exceptions. Now, how about income from entities? Um, this gets very technical. I realize that a lot of you are uh, familiar with the different um, entity types. Um, the basic ones, of course, being C-corporations and then partnerships. Um, C-corporations, as many people are aware, issue what's called a distribution um, at various points. And uh, whenever a distribution is issued to the shareholders, there's essentially taxation on two levels. First, at the corporate level, at uh, the entity level, and second, when the shareholders receive the distribution um, or dividend, they then have to report it as income. And so that's why you hear some professionals refer to um, taxation of C corporations as uh, double taxation because the C corporation is treated as a separate entity in and of itself. And because it's treated as a separate entity, it is taxed no different than a person is taxed. Um, and then when that uh, when that distribution flows down to the shareholders in the form of a dividend, the individual shareholders have to report it. And so uh, there's that whole notion of double taxation. Now, partnerships and limited liability companies are pass-through entities. Uh, they're not taxed themselves. Um, instead, the owners are taxed. Each owner receives a Form K-1 that reports his or her appropriate share of the income, even if that income is retained by the business and not distributed to the owners. So that's the part that is tricky. Uh, the fact that the income may be retained by the partnership and not distributed to the individual partners. However, Notwithstanding the fact that the income is retained by the partnership, the partners have a responsibility to report it. And again, that's even if they don't receive a payout. So it's very important to understand that because each owner will receive a Form K-1 that reports his or her appropriate share of the income. And if that income um, is not reported by, the, um, by a partner, then there is going to be a problem because the IRS is going, will have that Form K-1 and it's going to be looking on your 1040 for where the, uh, where the payout 
um, lies. And if they don't see it, then they're going to, um, you know, note the discrepancy and they might very well call you out on it. And um, it's very important to understand that. So even if the income is retained by the partnership and not distributed to the individual owners, you as one of the owners still have an obligation to report it. And, um, and I realize that that sometimes defies conventional wisdom, but that's the way the IRS works. And in an effort to ensure that um, you voluntarily disclose and that you don't get into the habit of uh, leaving that, uh, that payout off of your return, the IRS uses Form K-1. And again, they, uh, they match your K-1 against your 1040 to ensure that that payout was uh, reported uh, voluntarily on your 1040. Um, so important, very important to note. Um, and again, the matching uh, of the forms K of the form K1 against your individual tax returns is no different than the matching of the uh, form W2 with uh, the amount of uh, wages that you declare on your 1040. Uh, so important to, you know, be scrupulous when it comes to reporting wages on your 1040, um, just as it is important to um, be scrupulous when it comes to reporting payouts um, if you are a partner in a partnership, even if the, um, even if you don't receive a payout and the partnership actually retains um, the, uh, the amount. You have to uh, report your appropriate share of the income or loss um, when you're in a partnership. If you have any questions, feel free to give me a holler. Um, my door is always open. You can um, email me at mjdeblissatdeblisslaw.com or uh, shoot me a line on Twitter. Um, my handle is at mjdebliss. Uh, or find me on Facebook. Um, there's a new fan page that I created called Mixing Law and Art, um, and you are certainly welcome to post um, any questions or comments on that page.